Hi there. My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner, and this is my story. I love that this is called the power of storytelling because I personally have always loved the power of words. I loved learning new words and um, the sound of words in my mouth and in my head. I think I liked words more than people for quite a while. Words were more dependable and predictable. I remember in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, my best friend was the girl who would sit next to me at lunch and recess, and we would read. It's called parallel play in psychology. It's totally not age appropriate for a fourth, fifth, or sixth grader. And yet, this was what I enjoyed. Her name was Jennifer, Jennifer Go. I have no idea where she is today, but she and I were able to uh, make our parents feel better about their kind of odd book-obsessed children by planning playdates where we would just go to one of our houses and read together. I loved it. I loved trying to guess what would happen and understand the characters and put myself in someone else's shoes. It got me out of my own head and my own home. I hated choose-your-own-ending books. I I know they're such a great idea, and now as a parent, as a shrink... I feel like it's, um, it's great for creativity and I want to encourage it, but at the time, oh, there was nothing more annoying than a choose-your-own ending. I wanted hard, concrete facts. My home, despite the fact that on paper it was pretty near perfect, or at least perfectly nuclear, lacked a fine, lacked a fine line between truth and fiction. There was always an adult that was twisting and turning something, some story or some tale or some scenario that I had witnessed into something that was different. It was more flattering for them, less flattering for me, or me and my brother, as the case may be. So books were important because there was a beginning, a middle, and an end. And Choose Your Own Adventure was just like, here, here's an opportunity for someone else to tell you what happens when you know that wasn't what happened. I think that's why I've always wanted to be a writer, the entirely impractical kind of writer, not like a reporter, you know, like Clark Kent, Lois Lane. No, because at least then you can say, well, there's a structure, there's a strategy, there's an entry point to achieving this goal. But that wasn't the kind of writer I wanted to be. I wanted to tell my own stories. I wanted to tell stories that people would believe. Fiction stories, but fiction stories that you could get lost in the same way I got lost in Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and Judy Bloom and all those other people that grew up in my ear. While in college, I also fell in love with psychology because it was sort of that secret map that suddenly helped me to understand why all of the characters in my books did what they did. It was, a, it was a secret treasure map where things made more sense than they had before. When I graduated from college, I thought perhaps this was the time for me to finally become a real writer. In college, uh, I went to Georgetown University and I had a, a column, my own column, entertainment section that came out twice a week. And when I convinced them to give it to me, I said I want to write about stuff. Yep, the person who loves words simply said stuff. 
because there was lots of stuff and I wasn't sure which would be more important on which week. And I don't know why they gave it to me, but they did. I have to think about that. I'm sure someone somewhere knows why. But yeah, I got my own column and I got to write about stuff and I thought these clippings would be enough to possibly earn me a spot on some magazine or newspaper. There were so many of them at the time. By the time I walked across the stage to graduate from college, I had 64 rejection letters taped to my bedroom door. Every magazine, every newspaper, any area of the country you could think of. I was willing to go. There was nothing holding me back. Except I wasn't qualified, apparently. So, uh, thankfully, a late-night conversation at a local bar one night with a friend of a friend led me to a position that was open at a major magazine. And as a recent college graduate with a double major and a fairly impressive GPA, I took a job called Fax Girl or Fax Assistant, where I wasn't required to have a GRE. Never mind a high school diploma. And why would anyone with a college diploma ever want to work in this position? It was kind of a crap position. There was a fax machine, possibly two, and it was my job to change the toner and bring the faxes around to the real reporters. It was 1999. We had email. We had cell phones. We had fax machines, but frankly, anything that was that important was not going to come in on the fax machines. So a lot of what I did was get some good exercise. I wish we had the Fitbit then, actually. We definitely got my steps in. But I walked around and gave out faxes about Beanie Babies and car auctions and whatever else. It was sort of like being in part of the spam department at, at AOL or Gmail. It was... Um, it was a thankless job, but I was going to do it just in case. There were some kind reporters that, you know, took pity on me and let me help them out with some reporting or let me tag along on an interview, you know, just to see if this was what was going to be right for me. I might have stayed longer, except for the fact that one day I happened to be using the bathroom for all of three seconds. And they called my name over the loudspeaker three times, which A, kudos to them for actually knowing my name. But B, when I hurried back to the office to see what the emergency was, it was another fax about Beanie Babies. I was only 21, but I knew there had to be something better out there than having to stop mid-P for a Beanie Baby fax. Fortunately... I was still close with a professor from Georgetown, a psychology professor, and he told me about an opening that had just come up at the National Institute of Health doing uh, research in child and family development. I spent two years there with a bunch of similar-minded, mostly women, where we were all just gaining experience in between graduates or in between undergrad and heading off to graduate school to pursue whatever advanced degree we were going to. I actually used the time working at NIH in part to write my first full-length book, 
So by the time I started graduate school, I was also attempting to find an agent or a publishing house to do something with this book. And to my credit, I actually was, had had several conversations with two or three agencies, but they were newer and less established. And my second day of graduate school was 9-11, the 9-11. And so within a few months, it became apparent that no one would be publishing a book from a completely unknown 23-year-old soon-to-be psychologist in light of the turn of the economy. So I went to graduate school. I met my husband. I started working. I had kids. I enjoyed my job. I was working with a lot of anxious adults. And then in December of 2013, my mother-in-law, who was our closest relative and biggest support, uh, dropped dead unexpectedly. Within six weeks, we found out that uh, my cat of 14 years had cancer and she died within a week of my mother-in-law. My childhood best friend fell into a coma of unknown causes, never woke up. My best friend moved out of the country. A loved one went to prison indefinitely. And my two and a half year old daughter fell off the monkey bars and fractured and dislocated her humerus, which required major surgery. I can honestly say for the first time in my life, first time as an adult, I was literally clinically depressed. Yes, a depressed psychologist with two young kids, a grieving husband, and the ghost of a dead cat haunting my house. So I took to writing. I would wake up early in the morning and write and write and write. And at first it started with different writing contests because it made me feel like I was accomplishing something. And then I began working on a novel. And then one day, my loved one in prison asked me to order her a copy of, well, asked me to order her subscription of Cosmopolitan magazine. And I did. And for five extra dollars, I got my own subscription, which was fine. I, I was just putting one foot in front of the other as fast as I could to keep myself going. I happened to come across in the Cosmo magazine that I only had in my hands by chance that they were holding their first ever fiction contest. Well, why not? I had been applying to every other contest. And frankly, I had a book that was 90% done. I could just send in an excerpt, see what happened. This was sort of my version of, of mania, sort of a word mania type thing. I entered the Cosmo contest and I won. As a result of this, I found a fiction agent who's amazing. Through the Twitterverse, I met the woman who is now my co-author on the upcoming book, 10 Steps to Finding Happy. I met new people, gained new confidence, and started seeing a different, different amount of patients, different age, different specialties, because something about that one 
win after so many losses kind of kicked me into gear. It made me a lot bolder and braver. I started my podcast, Neurotic Nourishment, about six months ago because one of my favorite people and fondest friends, she and I were talking and someone joked that we should start a podcast. And so we did. Eventually, the podcast became just mine, but it it was a happenstance. I just stumbled upon it the same way I did most other things in my life. I also, in the last few years, have fallen into a new niche of working with suicidal teens. Why? Well, I don't overreact to their thoughts. I understand there's a difference between thoughts and feelings and actions. It took me a while to get beyond the anxious reaction and to simply wait and see what people are going to do versus what they're going to say. Because people can say anything and it's not necessarily the truth. I learned that when I was a kid. So now I've been telling my story a lot. And it's been kind of freeing because I was forced to keep silent about so many things for so long. So what have I learned about myself from telling my story? Well, unfortunately, the path is so much clearer and cleaner in retrospect, rather than when you're trying to figure it out when you're in that muck. And had I known it would all work out this way, I guess it kind of scares me that I might have done something to mess that up. Because I think I had to go through the lows to get to the highs. And I don't know if I would have enjoyed the ride had I known how it ended. But there is a strength in being able to look back and know that going forward, it's okay not to always know the answer and not to know the ending and to admit when I need help. I think my biggest dream right now, well, is to raise strong, happy, healthy, brave children. I'm going to make mistakes as a parent, but I want to make different ones than my parents, because I think that's the best any of us can hope for. Just make different mistakes. Because the ones you do make, hopefully you couldn't have avoided. And besides raising happy, healthy kids, I would really like to spread awareness about the stigma of mental health and how when we continue to shame people or to hide mental health, or to silence those who are suffering, we're making it worse. One of the things that makes me good at working with a suicidal population of teenagers is that I don't judge them before I know the whole story. And I think too often, especially teenagers, are told to fit in a certain box so that they aren't shunned or shamed or judged or isolated. But really, when we tell people that their pain and their feelings and what goes on inside their family has to be kept a secret. We're further shaming them. We're further silencing them. We're telling them it's not okay to tell the truth and that they have to pretend to be something that they're not. And to someone suffering from severe anxiety or debilitating depression, that's adding one more thing onto their backs than what was already there. So yeah, my biggest dream is to use this podcast and my upcoming book and every other platform I am given to try to spread awareness about mental health and the need to destigmatize it and to let people talk about not feeling okay. This is my story, and I hope 
My story helps someone else's story. Thanks for listening. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.